Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, to each and every one of you, and to paraphrase our friend Dabo Sweetie there, didn't a whole lot of college football programs, coaches, and players bring their own guts this week. What a phenomenal weekend as five full days from Thursday of last week through Labor Day Monday as we usher in the college football season with so much to get into as we welcome you to Strong as Steel right here. On uh, this Wednesday afternoon, I'm Michael Regai, pleased to be joined by the uh, preeminent host and analyst as far as breaking down college football that we have and the author of uh, the very best college football preview magazine and anywhere you're going to find Phil Steele. Phil, how are you after week one? And I don't know, are you still wiping your brow after watching Ole Miss at Florida State? I tell you what, Michael, at the uh, opening weekend, definitely lived up to uh, what everybody was hoping for coming in. We had enough close ones, and I think the final two games of the weekend were probably the two that uh, really, right down to the wire uh, for a good portion, and uh, yes is your answer to the uh, Florida State, my number one ranked team, Florida State, trailing 28-6 to at one point in the second quarter. Delvin Cook dropping a football out of bounds. Uh, naturally, I... Uh, I wasn't too happy at that particular moment, but very pleased with what I saw the rest of the game as Florida State looked like that number one team the rest of the game in their 11-point win. So I'm going to let all of you, our wonderful listeners here on the podcast, in on a secret. I'm thinking I was tempted to call Phil at halftime, and I said, no, I'm not going to do it because I thought that you might have been on the bat phone with Jimbo Fisher. (laughs) Hey, man, you got to pick this up in the second half now to to keep me clean here on week one. 
You know, I tell you what, if you go back and look at the year that uh, Winston uh, played and, and Florida State won the national title, the year after that, they were down at the half in the majority of the games, and Jimbo Fisher must just make some great halftime adjustments, great halftime speech. They're a team very capable of the comeback, and, you know, it didn't look like going in the locker room here was a guy that was flustered and on the verge of a loss. It looked like here was a guy that was uh, bound and determined to get it turned around, and he did. I think he's one of the better game day coaches out there. Oh, absolutely, and I uh, completely concur with you there. And, uh, you know, some of the looks that Jimbo gives, like we saw him do so many times with Jameis Winston and now with a young man we'll talk about, uh, because DeAndre Francois was just phenomenal in his debut. Uh, we're delighted that all of you are with us today. Again, we're strong as steel here with uh, Phil Steele's expert analysis. We'll do it for you every week. And we hope you're always going to be engaged with social media. Make sure that you're with us at Phil Steele 042 at Michael Regai R E G H I and at our esteemed producer Jim Nabozna N A B O Z N A. You can join us. Here's a number that you got to lock in with now: six four six 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 eight twenty two forty eight six four six. Six six eight twenty two forty eight. We're going to discuss what happened in week one. We're going to look ahead to week two. We'll do factor fiction with a lot of week one inclusive at uh, the bottom of the hour a little bit later on. And Phil, as we start here, and again, week one it was so so good. And we know that uh, college football, Power Five conferences, and uh, and the entire band of one twenty eight and the FBS are going to build on that. And we want uh, all of you, our listeners, to have the opportunity to have every piece of insight and information you can. And, Phil, you've got your uh, SteelsWeeklyPreview.com to get everybody inside analysis. And, of course, a Phil Steele Plus, which is part of PhilSteele.com. Phil, give everybody the lowdown on that and uh, let everybody uh, inside on how you're going to approach that each and every week with information they're not going to get anywhere else. Well, I appreciate that, Michael. The uh, the website, SteelsWeeklyPreview.com, has the Inside the Press Box newsletter up. And uh, a lot of detail goes into that newsletter each week, down everything you need to know about the matchup for the week. And most importantly to me, it gives you my computer's projected score, or actually projected box score in every game, the projected yards rushing, yards passing, points, uh, who has the special team's edge, everything for the game, and then my analysis of it. Many times I agree with the computer's numbers, but there are a lot of times I don't agree with them. So you actually get both our forecasts, mine and the computer's, and I never make a forecast without at least looking at the computer results. And if you print off those computer results and then actually fill in the actual box score next to it, you'll be amazed how many times that the rushing yards or passing yards are within 25 yards, the points are within three points. And if you circle those numbers each time that that happens, you're going to have circles all over your page. So far this season, the Inside the Press Box News that are off to a nice 4-2 and two start. And you can get this week's uh, issue with all 46 games completely broken down uh, up on steelsweeklypreview.com. And by the way, right now, if you enter the promo code STEEL, that's S-T-E-E-L-E, that's S-T-E-E-L-E, enter the promo code STEEL, you get $20 off the college newsletter or you'll get $30 off the package of both college and pro. So that's uh, go to the website, steelsweeklypreview.com, and enter in the promo code STEEL, S-T-E-E-L-E, to get that uh, discount. And then over on philsteel.com, the Phil Steel Plus 
is uh, where you get the updated stats all season long, and they're color-coded, green and red, green for good, red for bad. Uh, really nice for the team pages, updated all season long. We'll talk more about that a little later in the show. I think we should probably get to some of those Twitter questions that were out there. <laughs> There's a load of those, Phil. Absolutely. Again, you can uh, check in with us on Twitter if you like, at Phil Steele, S-T-E-E-L-E-042, at Michael Regai, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-R-E-G-H-I, at Jim Nabosna, our esteemed producer, N-A-B-O-Z-N-A. Speaking of which, Jimmy Boz, welcome. Great to have you with us. Again, for uh, week number two of Strong as Steel, everybody's loaded up. Give us a sampling, Jim, of what's on college football fans' minds after the frenzy of, uh, of the first weekend. Even though they got a big win down in Texas, there's still a little concern. At Johnnyboy88 ask, even though their offense seemed to turn it around last week, should Texas be concerned about their defensive performance? Well, i tell you what, you know, watching the game, I was a little surprised that Texas uh, did give up the 475 yards. Now, granted, Notre Dame has a very potent offense. I like their offensive line. They've got good, great, uh, the receiving core is Equinus uh, St. Brown is a guy that uh, really lit it up, and they've got the running backs as well. But uh, I was a little concerned defensively. I thought that uh, their defense would show a lot of improvement under Charlie Strong the second year, and they probably will tighten it up this week a little bit against UTEP. UTEP's a team that likes to run the football with Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones one of the more underrated running backs in the country. But if UTEP can't run the football, their offense struggles a little bit. They've got a Fresno State transfer at the QB spot who did well last week. They lit up New Mexico State in that game. Uh, but this week I think you'll see improvement out of the Texas defense, and hopefully each week as, as the season goes on. But, yes, after watching that game, uh, of a concern to me was the Texas defense. Didn't quite play up to the uh, the potential that I thought it would this year. So that's a that's an excellent tweet there. Appreciate the question. Yeah, it really was. And, and Philby and Jimmy, before we go on with the next tweet, and, again, uh, make sure you can call the show as well. Uh, we certainly entertain that, 646 646- Six six eight two two four eight six four six 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 eight two two four eight, and we'll uh, we'll get you right on to chat with uh, Phil and yours truly. Phil, I want you to break down though that that quarterbacking dynamic that we saw four quarterbacks in the Notre Dame Texas game, but there's a great distinction of difference, is there not, between Brian Kelly with Deshaun Kaiser and Malik Zaire? Kaiser played better, but. Aren't they two quarterbacks with comparable attributes? Well, you know, what Charlie Strong was doing, Shane Bouchelle, and then the 260-pound road grader Tyrone Swoops. That is something. Do you see that dynamic going forward for Charlie Strong and, and being one of great strength for him? Yes, absolutely. And in fact, it's tough to defend. If you're a defensive coordinator, you're going to have a lot of sleepless nights before playing Texas because Shane Bouchelle is the perfect fit for the veer and shoot offense. He can run, as he showed, but I mean, he is a pinpoint passer and someone that knows how to read defenses and it gives you a very potent pass game. However, when Tyrone Swoops comes in, you have to change your defensive alignment, change your defensive mm-hmm. personnel. Uh, you're talking about a 260-pound running back, uh, or basically running back, running up the middle. And Swoops can also throw the long ball. I mean, he's got the arm strength to get it downfield. So that's an extremely difficult offense to prepare for the rest of the year. Now, with Notre Dame, there was talk earlier they may go with Kaiser as the starter and use Zaire, who's a little bit more of a shifty runner, maybe in short yardage. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're going to see out of Notre Dame is they're going to 
settle on one guy and then just use him the majority of the year as well they should. And I had picked Kaiser to be the starting quarterback. To me, he looked like the better guy. I think Kaiser gets the majority of the action this week. Completely concur with you there, and i got a feeling there's probably a, a lot of conversation in South Bend amongst all the locals and uh, the, the Golden Domers about just that. Uh, that, the Notre Dame and Texas story, thoughts on quarterbacks. We're going to give you a lot of them throughout the course of the uh, the show here today. And, again, check in with us at 646-668-2248. We go to the great state of New York. That's how uh, our Strongest Steel listener, John, did as we welcome John to the show today. John, go right ahead. How are you? Hi, good afternoon, guys. I'm fine. I hope you're doing well also. Absolutely. Go right ahead. Uh, Phil, I'm a big Naval Academy fan. And I have a lot of friends who are UConn alumni. So I have a two-part question. With the Navy quarterback Smith going down and out for the year last week, how do you think their offense is going to look? And the second question, obviously, was how do you think they will respond versus UConn this week? Well, you know, that that's an a excellent question, John. And, you know, when you look at Navy, every time I talk to Coach Nia Montalolo, uh, he's a guy that uh, they go deep at quarterback. They usually have four or five guys there. And as we saw, as an example, when Keenan Reynolds went out a couple of years ago and Tago Smith had to start two games, they won both those games uh, without him. Now, Tago Smith, only a one-game starter. Uh, Will Worth stepped in, took his place. And when you look at him, his biggest strength is actually passing the football. In fact, they ran a shotgun offense in high school. Uh, when he was a quarterback, but uh, they feel good about him. Uh, he's a guy that uh, just couldn't be tackled in the spring. He showed uh, mobility they probably didn't think he had necessarily. So I would think Will Worth is going to give him a, a, a solid passing dimension, not the dangerous runner that Keenan Reynolds was. And I think the Navy offense uh, sets best when they've got that mobile guy. They brought a quarterback out of the stands in the fourth quarter of this past week's game, and he'll get some action here as well. But uh, I think with Navy, they pretty much are a plug-and-play at the quarterback position, although uh, I'm just thinking they lose a little bit of athleticism with Will Worth more than they did with Otago Smith out there. But it'll be interesting to see. And the good thing for Connecticut is it's early enough in the season. I think Connecticut may be focused a little bit on the option last week, which is why they struggled a little bit in their game. And I think you'll see Connecticut play pretty good defense against Navy. Appreciate the call, John. Yeah, that was terrific. And again, Phil, you mentioned his name. Never, ever would I... Uh, bet against uh, Kenny Niamatomolo figuring things out because I don't you find him to be uh, one of the the brightest minds, especially um, on the offensive side of the ball that we have in college football? Uh, I, I think very highly of him. I think he gets the most out of the talent that he has on hand, uh, does a great job, uh, you know, just studying the team, getting the right players in the right spot. Uh, I think he's the perfect coach for the Navy program. It it surprised me a little bit last year when there was the flirtation with uh, BYU, but uh, I'm glad he stayed at Navy because I think it's the perfect fit. Does a fantastic job. We know you do a fantastic job as well because uh, you love college football just like Phil and I do. We invite you to make sure you check us out each and every week here on the podcast we're strong as steel with our preeminent college football analyst, Phil Steele. I'm Michael Regai, our producer, Jim Nabosna, and we're going to do this for you each and every week throughout the college football season. Give us a holler, 646-668-2248. 
That's six four six 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 eight twenty two forty eight. You can also uh, chime in uh, as you like on Twitter. We want to be very interactive with you on social media, and we'll give you uh, the very best of attention at Phil Steele S T E E L E O four two at Michael Regai R E G H I and at Jim Nabozna, our producer. Uh, the last name is uh, on Twitter N A B O Z N A. Phil. Let's stay on that quarterback theme because I think you and I both, uh, Lambeau Field gave us uh, plenty of thrills uh, on on Saturday. And I don't know if Les Miles and Cam Cameron, the head coach and offensive coordinator of uh, the Bayou Bengals of LSU, would uh, say that they enjoyed their experience. Uh, Phil, I I think everybody seems to be just uh, a little bit perplexed that after Miles almost lost his job last year, and there was so much consternation about Brandon Harris and the lack of offensive diversity, even when you have a Leonard Fournette, Harris did not look good, Phil, on Saturday through a couple of crippling picks that cost them dramatically. Do you see them getting themselves squared away and bouncing back and and does Les Miles and Cam Cameron really, really now have to take a deeper look at this? You know, I, I think they do. And when you when you look at the overall structure, uh, to me, the, the key to the game was the fact that LSU could never get their offense on the field and keep it on the field and uh, and have a, a productive offense. And, and one of the underrated things to me was the fact that Dave Aranda's defense actually allowed Wisconsin to generate first down after first down after first down. It was very surprising that Wisconsin was able to move the ball like they did against an Aranda defense and keep that offense off the field. And I think it kept them from getting into rhythm. Uh, you know, when you look at Fournette, he didn't have the type of game expected. Only, I'll say only 138 yards, six yards a carry. That's that's pretty good against the Wisconsin defense. But let's face it, everybody feels he's Superman's going to rush for 200 yards every time he gets the ball. And I think in that first half, when they had the ball so very little, I think they only had it for six or seven minutes, it was tough for them to get the offense going. We saw a better LSU offense in the second half, but still nowhere near what was expected for the game. So, you know, as far as being on the hot seat goes, yes, Les Miles is clearly on the hot seat at LSU right now. I think if they lose a couple more games uh, with all the hype and all the speculation coming in uh, to the season, and, and LSU is actually favored in all 12 games this year in Las Vegas. So a lot of folks had them. Uh, possibly running the table this year. I had them very high as well. I had them making the playoffs, so I was very disappointed with what I saw on the field. And they do need to get that offense in a different structure. I think you'll see it explode a little bit this week against Jacksonville State. I think you'll see more success the next week against Mississippi State. I'm sort of interested in watching what they do against Auburn because I was very impressed with Auburn's defense in the opener against Clemson. If they could shut down Deshaun Watson and company like they did and home the amount of points they did, that's going to be a, the, their next biggest test. And we'll see what what they work out the next couple of weeks prior to that game. Yeah, Phil, let's uh, let's stay in the SEC real quick because, you know, we talk about quarterbacks, and although he didn't get the start, you know, it looks like uh, Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin have done it again. How impressed were you with true freshman Jalen Hurts of Alabama who came in and just looked, Philly looked absolutely terrific. He sure didn't look like an 18-year-old kid. And, you know, we know, uh, look, uh, Nick Saban's already won two national championships in Tuscaloosa with first-year starting quarterbacks. I I mean, is he on track to uh, do that again with a third if Jalen Hurts continues to be his guy? 
I, I like Hertz, and in fact, I almost pulled the trigger in the magazine, Michael. Despite the fact that uh, Saban usually starts seniors at the quarterback or experienced guys at the quarterback spot. Uh, in fact, the last four times they've had a first-year starting quarterback. They've got three national titles and a berth to the playoffs in the other year. Uh, but I watched Hertz in the spring game, and I know he was very impressive in the bowl practices. I almost pulled the trigger and listed him as a starter. But I didn't, mm-hmm. and then now, now when you look at it, I think Hertz is the guy, and here's for two reasons for this. First of all, Alabama's offense moved pretty well two years ago when they had Sims at QB with the mobility that he had, and then you got to figure every year Saban, their weakest games are usually against teams that have mobile quarterbacks, so why not get yourself a mobile quarterback? If it gives your defense fits, it's going to give the other team's defense fits, and uh, I thought Hertz had a, a very good uh grasp on the offense, didn't act like a freshman. I know he fumbled on the first play, but after that looked really good. Didn't have overwhelming numbers, 118 yards passing, just 32 rushing, but I thought the team moved very well with him at QB, and I think he'll be the guy taking the majority of the snaps the rest of the year and uh, and win that starting job. And then what a treat it'll be, Alabama won't have a first-year starting quarterback next year. <laughs> That's right. He might be the starting quarterback Jalen Hurts was speaking of for the next two years anyway after this. All right, let's stay in the SEC because, as we know, what, seven losses, Phil, from SEC squads. And we know Tennessee was a squad that uh, had to rally late and get into overtime and had to get the good fortune of a missed uh, App State extra point to get into overtime. Let's go to the state of Tennessee. Here's uh, Hunter with some some ideas and some thoughts about his Vanderbilt Commodores. Hunter, welcome to Strongest Steel. How are you? Hunter, are you there with us, sir? Hunter, go right ahead, sir. Yes, I'm here. Sorry. Go right ahead, Hunter. We're here, All Phil right. and Michael. Go ahead. Question: uh, What does Phil think about uh, Tony Franklin's offense uh, coming into Vanderbilt this Saturday, and how does how does he see that game uh, playing out? All right, great question. Appreciate it, Hunter. And uh, I think it's going to be a very interesting game when you look at Middle Tennessee uh, State. They're a team that uh, last year uh, these two, of course, played uh, Middle Tennessee. Uh, only had 320 yards against him. Stockstill, the uh, quarterback for Middle Tennessee, hit 32 of 51 for 286 yards. I love the way Stockstill reads defenses. I think he's the perfect fit for the offense. Middle has suffered some attrition at wide receiver during this, the August and uh, in the first game of the season. They're down about three or four guys. But overall, they're still a potent offense. They're taking on a very good defense. When you watch Vanderbilt last week, I thought the game shifted in the uh, second quarter. Vanderbilt in complete control, 10 to nothing. They're up. They just scored a touchdown, and then they pull Kyle Shermer for Wade Freeback. And all of a sudden, the offense didn't score another point the rest of the game. When Shermer returned, he wasn't the same type of quarterback, and I think that hurt him a lot. They still have Ralph Webb in the backfield. C.J. Junkins a dangerous guy. They're probably going to stick with one quarterback this week, I would think, if Shermer has some success. But Middle's a dangerous team. They're not going to be an easy out. I look at the fact the way they played them last year, uh, down to the wire, a four-point game. I think this is going to be another one of those down-to-the-wire games. Since Vanderbilt's at home and they're the SEC school with the better defense, I'm going to call for them to escape by the with the win, but uh, only by a couple of points here. I think it'll be a great game to watch. Appreciate the call, Hunter. Yeah, Hunter, appreciate that uh, as well. Very, very good uh, from you with regard to the, the Commodores. Phil and I, as a quick aside, we uh, – we're kind of rooting for Kyle Shermer because, Phil, we saw him grow up uh, here as he played his high school football at 
the powerful St. Edward program here in uh, the Cleveland area. Of course, he's the son of Pat Shermer, who uh, was the head football coach of the Cleveland Browns when he was playing in high school. So uh, we'll uh, we'll see if he continues to get that opportunity to uh, be the quarterback at Vanderbilt and uh, as they move along in their season and then get into SEC competition. You know, and it surprised me a little bit last week because uh, during the month of August, Mason had pretty much come out and said, hey, Kyle Schirmer's my starter. And so mm-hmm. up 10-0 with the offense moving pretty smoothly, I was very surprised. And they were back in the shadows of their own end zone when they brought Freeback in on that series, uh, which surprised me a little bit. And then uh, and then just the rest of the game, it was tough sledding for the offense. So hopefully Mason figures it out and, and sticks with the one guy this week. And I bet you the rest of the year, if their offense scores a touchdown, you're not going to see him take the quarterback out, whether it's Shermer or Freeback. But I'm, I'm thinking Shermer still holds on to the job the rest of the year. Yeah, and you know, Phil, we're we're seeing that a little bit more. We've gone through a couple of them with, uh, you know, with with an eye on head coaches that, uh, you know, for whatever reason, find it tough to make a decision on a quarterback at the start of the year. Um, in general, are you a fan of it? In other words, you got two guys that you feel comfortable with, and uh, you want to get them both playing time. But um, is that? the best way to go though for a program that is uh, you know trying to uh, make sure they stay at the level they want to be offensively well you know some guy Nick Saban ended up doing it twice he went into the season uh, with two starters and uh, let him play for the first two games then he made his decision week three this about three four years ago they won a national title and then with Sims Sims was battling uh, Coker at QB. They both split the snaps in the first two games, then they handed the game the rest of the season to Sims, and uh, it turned out pretty well. They made the playoffs that year. So it can work as long as you go into the season trying to figure it out, knowing that, hey, once I make a decision, I've made the decision, and then that guy gets the number one snaps the rest of the year. You look at what happened at Ohio mm-hmm. State last year. It was a more indecision, splitting the snaps. No one guy had the job the entire year long, and we saw an offense just implode. I mean, they were thought to be unstoppable at the start of the year. I remember after the opening game of the season when they shredded Virginia Tech's defense, one of the announcers said, I think Ohio State's going to break the all-time scoring record this year. They won't be held below 50 in any game, and they were indeed impressive in that opening game, but then the dueling quarterbacks and the not having a number one quarterback really hurt them as the season went along. So I'm okay with it first couple games of the season, but after that, got to make your decision. Stick with one guy and get him those reps and the confidence. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm right with you on that, and we'll see if uh, in, in some of these situations that we brought to light if that is going to be the case going forward. Great to have all of you with us. It is strong as steel as we come at you before uh, week two of uh, the college football season after the phenomenal uh, first weekend that I think everybody's still raving about. We're going to do this uh, each and every week, usually on uh, on Tuesdays. Uh, so you'll make sure you want to uh, get us uh, locked in for that. You can join the show at 646-668-2248, and you can uh, tweet at us if you like as well, because we will uh, give that top priority at Phil Steele 042, at Michael Regi, R-E-G-H-I, and at uh, Jim Nabozna, N-A-B-O-Z-N-A, our producer. Phil, you just mentioned Ohio State, almost 800 yards of of total offense, and J.T. Barrett setting school records uh, in Columbus with 
his six touchdown passes. And, you know, uh, Urban Meyer, as as you pointed out uh, in the magazine, number 128, with regard to losing all those first-round draft picks and only six starters returning, but as you also pointed out, uh, there are young guys, and not just uh, freshmen and redshirt freshmen. Think about it, Phil. Guys that are now redshirt sophomores, maybe fourth-year juniors in that program that are really, think about that, getting their first chance to get on the football field because they've had to sit and wait their turn behind so many what turned out to be NFL talents, and a lot of them really expressed themselves well on Saturday in that drubbing of Bowling Green. Yeah, and it's an impressive array of athletic ability here with Ohio State. You look at the fact they've had the number one recruiting class in the Big Ten the last five years. Urban Meyer's lost a grand total of one Big Ten game. Now, I'm not going to say after watching a Bowling Green game that this is a team that's going to go on and romp through the season unbeaten, but they are definitely uh, on a roll right now uh, with the win over Bowling Green. And I thought Meyer really pushed the team more in August, trying to get them game ready, knowing the inexperience level that he had going for him. And I thought he did an incredible job. He also feels athletically this may be one of his best teams. So I'm gonna. it's really going to interest me, Michael, when they travel to face Oklahoma two weeks from now because that will be the first road test. And the first road test for young, inexperienced guys, when all of a sudden the fans, instead of being on your side and quiet on offense and loud on defense, are loud at you on offense and quiet on defense, makes it a completely different setting. And we'll see how they deal with that adversity uh, traveling to face Oklahoma in a couple of weeks. And Bob Stoops and uh, Baker Mayfield and company, uh, again, they, they, they've got to get themselves uh, squared away, no doubt about that. And we'll see if they're able to do that coming up um, during the course of uh, this week uh, before Ohio State uh, heads down to Norman. All right, great to have all of you with us again. 646-668-2248. That's the uh, the number to get on board with. Uh, Phil and I uh, discussing what went transpired over that fantastic first weekend and also looking ahead to week two. We'll get into that. Now, we will say the menu for week two, Phil, is, you know, it's, uh, it's not as tasty and it doesn't come with all that filet mignon as week one did. But we a little bit later on in the show, in the second half of the show, we want to take a look at uh, the Penn State pit clash, which could be intriguing. And also, of course, at, uh, at uh, Bristol Motor Speedway is going to host Phil uh, Tennessee's Vols in Virginia Tech. That's where they're going to play that football game at, huh? 150,000 fans would be the largest crowd in college football history. So that'll be that'll be a lot of fun, you know. And, and it's interesting that the uh, both coaches have done a good job prep work wise by going down there. You know, it's not a it's not a press box, a scoreboard set up specifically for college football. They had to string the scoreboard up over it. I saw them uh, putting it up the other day. And then, uh, of course, the, you know, your coaches are way high up in the box. It's an unusual situation. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch that game and very intriguing. Yes, it is. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit with greater detail coming up in a minute. Let's uh, let's bring on our esteemed producer, Jim Nabosna, once again, because you guys are uh, blowing it up on the Twitter side. Hey, Jimmy, what do you have uh, for Phil and I uh, in the uh, the Twitter dumb today here on Strong as Steel? Well, guys, staying on that Tennessee game, at Taylor Quinn 112 has a question about the ACC-SEC matchup, and he wants to know, does Va Tech have enough talent to go in and take down Tennessee this week? 
Well, you know what? I think they do if Tennessee plays like they did last week, which was uh, it was a Tennessee <laughs> team that uh, you know came into the game. I think they were reading their own press clippings a little bit, maybe looking ahead to this game and figuring, you know, we could just throw our football helmets on the field, win this game, and Appalachian State, uh, Appalachian State, uh, proved, Appalachian State proved them wrong in that particular matchup, uh, almost upsetting them. The game came right down to the wire, and, and App State led the majority of the game. Uh, when I look at this matchup here, I think Tennessee, probably the best thing that could happen to Butch Jones was that game last week because, A, they won the game, but, B, he could learn to use it as a teaching tool for the upcoming season. I think when you look at the overall talent both teams have, uh, Tennessee's a bigger, stronger, faster team, probably on both sides of the ball. Jalen Hurd, Alvin Kamara, a dynamic combination at the running back spot. They need Joshua Dobbs to be a better passer this year. We didn't see it in week one, but I think the potential's there with an improved receiving core. And they've got plenty of NFL-caliber guys on the defense. I was a little unimpressed with Virginia Tech last year. I thought Bud Foster's defense underachieved. We'll see what Bud Foster's defense does this year. Uh, and offensively, they do have Gerard Evans, one of the highly rated JUCOs out there. But I think it'll be a game where if Tennessee doesn't play their A game, yes, Virginia Tech has a shot at upsetting them. But if they do play their A game, I like Tennessee to win that one probably by about a couple of touchdowns. Yeah, you know what, too, Phil? You know, Joshua Dobbs, now, Butch Jones uh, took the red shirt off him in 2013. So, that, I mean, this is his fourth year in the program. Would it be fair to say that he – he needs to take a very significant step forward this year if Tennessee is going to reach these lofty expectations, top ten, and and possibly with Alabama at the class of the SEC. Uh, Dobbs is going to have to start uh, jumping forward in a stronger fashion, isn't he, for that to happen? Yeah, he's got to he's got to pass the ball better. There's no uh, ifs, ands, and buts about it. You look at his first game he played; it came against Alabama. They brought him off the bench and. His running gave Alabama all kinds of headaches. They were way down, mm-hmm. and his running ability got him close. His running ability has been a big part of the Tennessee offense. But last year, eh, he only hit the 59% of his passes, 15-5 ratio, decent passing numbers. In the opener, though, he only hit 53%. I need to see better accuracy out of Dobbs, and I think he'll give it to him. He's a smart guy. He should be able to read the defense as well. And uh, like I said, I think last week was just one of those things where Tennessee might have been reading its press clippings a little bit heading into the game. And we didn't see Tennessee play the Ray game last week. But if they play the Ray game this week, they get the running game going. I think if we see Dobbs being able to uh, find a few holes in the Virginia Tech secondary this week. We'll be watching that very, very closely out of uh, Bristol, Tennessee at the Motor Speedway when they host uh, Virginia Tech. Uh, Excellent, excellent thoughts on Twitter there. We want to continue to give you prime consideration on Twitter. Jimmy, what uh, what else do we have uh, from our, our friends in the land of Twitter? At Tommy Touchy has a question about the the battle in Pennsylvania this weekend, and he wants to know, can Penn State's offense take a step forward this week and score enough to beat Pittsburgh? Well, they're taking on a pretty good defense. You know, Narduzzi knows defense. Uh, Pitt's got talent on that side of the ball. And frankly, I was a little unimpressed with Penn State's offense. Now, Kent State does have an underrated defense. Last year, defense was not the problem for Kent State. Offense was the problem for them. 
uh, it seemed like maybe they were holding something back. I mean, they do have a brand-new offense this year. You're looking at Trace McSorley as a guy that's going to be running the Oregon-style offense. He ran for 47 yards last week, only hit 16 of 31 passes, sort of an average performance. Uh, like I said, Kent's got a better defense than you would think. Uh, when you look at them this week, I think they were they had to be holding a few things back. Joe Moorhead had to be a guy that was saying, you know what, I'm going to not play all my cards here. That pit game is pretty big coming up. And I think the crowd for this game should have a lot of Penn State fans there. When you turn it on, you're going to see a lot of folks in blue at the game as far as Penn State fans go. And so I, I think they're going to have a decent crowd there. Defensively, I think Penn State, you know, their weakness is a little bit up front where they're replacing that defensive line. Fared well last week, only gave up 3.7 yards per carry, uh, and did record seven sacks last week. We'll see what the defense does this week. I think it's going to be an excellent game, and one that comes right down to the wire might be decided by uh, a field goal one way or the other. Uh, I'm gonna, I'd like the, the underdog to keep this one close, but I think Pitt might prevail at the end. I think Pitt's a little bit stronger team and at home, but should be a good game. The key to Penn State's offense is probably Saquon Barkley. They need to get him breaking some big runs. A very, very talented tailback. I think one of the uh, the very best running backs uh, that we have in the country, uh, Saquon Barkley. Appreciate that tweet as well. Uh, we're at 646-668-2248, 646-668-2248, strong as steel. Uh, the name of our podcast, I'm Michael Regai. I'm a partner, the preeminent analyst uh, on the college football side that you can't do without each and every week, Phil Steele. And with that in mind, uh, Phil, uh, for those of you here, oh, by the way, um, locally in the uh, the Cleveland, Ohio area, if you want to have a chance to meet Phil in person and uh, and talk to him tonight, Phil, you're making one of those highly anticipated appearances tonight here in the Cleveland area. Tell everybody about it. Yeah, you know, the uh, the good friends at uh, Drug Mart here in Ohio, if you go across the country, a lot of the uh, magazine places, uh, the news, uh, newsstands, the magazine is sold out at a lot of places. But uh, Drug Mart, since they're in the local Ohio area, they were able to get a lot of magazines locally from us, and they still have plenty of in stock at all the discount Drug Marts in the state of Ohio. You can get my college magazine, you can get the NFL magazine, and both of those are, are well worth it. The NFL magazine has four full pages on each team complete fantasy football section as well it's like getting a fantasy magazine and an nfl magazine in one but tonight at the uh, drug mart in westlake at 27300 detroit road in westlake i'll be there from six o'clock to seven o'clock and if you stop by and purchase a magazine at drug mart tonight i'll make sure i sign it for you while you're there maybe we could chat a little bit of football while you stop by so that's the uh, drug mart in westlake at 27300 uh Detroit Road in Westlake from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock tonight. I'll be there, uh, and we can chat some football and uh, sign your magazine for you as well. And then, like I said, right in the Ohio area, all the Drug Mart locations selling both the college and the NFL magazine, and they do have them in stock right now, which is uh, unusual this time of year. And for those of you uh, around the nation that are saying, you know what, guys, I just won't be able to catch a flight and get over to Cleveland to see (laughs) Phil tonight. Hey, Phil, you've got your uh, Steel's weekly preview that everybody needs to know about to uh, get them, college football fans, inside everything you do each week and tie that into what you're doing as well uh, with Phil Steel Plus, which is a part of your terrific website at philsteel.com. 
Yeah, the Steel's weekly preview, and, and we talked a little bit about it earlier, so I won't spend a great deal of time on it, but it's my weekly newsletter, which gives you a projected box score on each game, as well as my forecast on each game. It's off to a nice 4-2 and two start this year. Go to the website, steelsweeklypreview.com, and it'll walk you all through it, what you get with the Inside the Press Box newsletter each week, but uh, I find it invaluable. I never... Uh, make a forecast on a game without looking at it first. Now, if you go to my website, philsteel.com, and uh, it might come pop up when you go to the team pages and say you have to be a Phil Steel Plus member. But let me explain what's on those team pages. First of all, you know the part of the magazine which gives you the complete stats for last year. I'm talking about on the right-hand pages um, at the uh, towards the bottom above the uh, the scores from last year gives you all the the, the uh, rushing yards, passing yards, sacks, etc. Well, on the website that's color coded green and red, green for good numbers, red for bad. And you'll be amazed. Third week of the season, you'll see one team has given up seven yards per carry rushing, and, and your eyes just immediately go to the red part of the page or the green part of the page. Gives you the updated uh, individual leaders, uh, the individual stats uh, for every single player that played in those games. Then also, it gives you the last. 20 years results. So if you're looking for the last 20 years scores, it's up there on the team pages. How about the last 15 leaders? Who was the leading rusher 10 years ago? It's up there. The draft history, who got drafted and how. And then, like I said, those game-by-game stats, which are in the magazine, that takes you back to 2009, color-coded in green and red. So instead of having uh, seven magazines in front of you that are trying to find a stat from a game, and let's say uh, two teams are playing each other this week, uh, Vanderbilt, Middle Tennessee, you want to find out how they've done against each other you can flip back and look that way or you can just click on the team name middle tennessee and all the last matchups will appear the last 17 years matchups uh appear right on the screen last 19 years matchups for quick easy reference as well you can see who's been winning the series who's been losing the series so ton of information up there Phil Steel Plus right now just $39 for the year. That takes you through the Super Bowl, and it goes up to $49 next week. So get that $39 price now. Just go to philsteel.com and uh, click on one of the team pages for more info. Oh, yeah, got to have it. Trust me, it's going to enhance your college football viewing and how you watch the game and how you enjoy the game. Uh, make sure you get on board. Speaking of getting on board, I think it's about time after this just dynamic week one and how some of that may play ahead into week two. To bring in our producer, Jim Nabaza, it's fact or fiction time with so much on the table. Jimmy Boz, let it fly at us, man. Fact or fiction. After a rough opening weekend, the SEC is no longer the league's most powerful conference. <laughs> there you go, Phil, right out of the chute. Yeah, that's a that's a great seven and seven this past week, the weakest record of any of the Power Five conferences out there. So uh, naturally, they must be the fifth toughest conference in college football, right? Ah, not so <laughs> yeah. fast. Uh, I'm not not going to quite make that uh, statement right now. In fact, I I still think when you look at the, the overall talent level, yeah, it was a rough first week. We saw it, it. You know, they went seven and seven. They could easily have been four and ten last week. You look at the fact that Tennessee barely escaped Appalachian State. Georgia trailed North Carolina last week. Uh, a lot of close games uh, that they, they actually wanted to get to 7-7, seven and seven. but I think when you get to be the end of the year, these teams will be playing much better. And I think, you know, you might overreact and say, well, LSU's headed for another 4-5 or five loss season. I don't think so. I think they're going to be better, much better than that this year. I think Tennessee's going to show up a lot better this weekend. I look for the SEC to have a much better this week, next mm. week, and upcoming. So I, I, I still would list them as the number one conference, but I'm not – Putting them there for the rest of the year. I'm going to wait and see how they play out this season. We'll, uh, they, they're going to have to play better, that's for sure. 
Ah, so it sounds like Phil still has at least a yield sign up right now, right? Maybe not a stop sign, yes. but a yield sign. Well, Phil, you know I'm an unabashed, admitted Big Ten guy. You know that. So any yes. chance I get to sing the praises of the Big Ten and the power brokers in the Big Ten, I'm going to do that. However, last week. Love it, man. Hey, listen, that that's that's what uh, you know we're we're looking at, and hopefully that'll continue on into this week with uh, the Big Ten in in their non-conference games. But I'm st- I'm with you though, Phil. I'm still going to say let's let's slow down a little bit here uh, with regard to the SEC no longer being the top uh, Power Five conference. I. Uh, I, I do believe that some of these squads that have struggled are going to get themselves squared away, and uh, that will bring the SEC back to the forefront. Uh, I, I'm hoping that we're having this conversation maybe as we turn into November, Phil. That'll be fun. But I'm going to say fiction as well. The SEC is slow down on uh, saying that they're they're down in the dumps just yet. What's next, Jimmy? Fact or fiction, even if Oklahoma wins the Big 12, Houston will take their spot in the college football playoff. Mm. It, it depends. Uh, it, now, if Oklahoma wins the Big 12 at 11 and 1, and Houston runs the table at 12 and 0, then I think yes, Houston would take their spot, the Big 10, the Big 12 spot. Even though Houston would only play two Power Five teams all year, but they also have to win impressively. They can't be beating American opponents and beating the weaker teams by three or seven points, or they're their level is going to be going down, down, down. And the fact that they only play Power 5 teams all year would hurt them. But if we see Houston be as impressive as they were against Oklahoma in the opener and they go 12-0, and then they would take Oklahoma's spot. However, if Houston slips up and they're not impressive, I think it gets to be the end of the year and Oklahoma's playing impressive. They This would be one of those rare cases where they might ignore a head-to-head due to the fact of strength of schedule and allow Oklahoma to get it. But uh, I think if, if there's ever going to be a group of five team that gets into the playoffs, this would be the year. Houston just has to win impressively, go 12-0, and and they have to be the biggest Sooner fans on the face of the earth because they need Oklahoma <laughs> to go 11-1 and and win that Big 12 for them to have a chance. Yep, yep. No question about that. I, I, I'm going to say, though, I, I still uh, find it a little bit inconceivable. I, you just said it, Phil. I look at the schedule, and they just, uh, you know, Louisville on that Thursday night, but that's not until uh, their 11th game of the year. Um, you know, they got to go to Navy on October the 8th, but I don't know, is, is, is Navy anywhere near without Keenan Reynolds, the same squad uh, that they have been? So I, I, I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say no. Uh, I'm always for, you know, the non-Power Fives the, the, to be able to get their spot on the table, but uh, I'm going to say that that's fiction. They're not going to be able to do it. What do we have next, Jim? Fact or fiction. Moving forward, Notre Dame will continue using a dual quarterback system. No, I do not think they do. I think it's going to be Kaiser getting the majority of the snaps. They may have a package put in for Zaire to run uh, because Zaire is a dynamic runner. Maybe some short yardage, maybe some goal line things. Uh, sort of like Oklahoma State used last year. Remember Oklahoma State had uh, their quarterback, and then he come out, and they brought in the uh, the backup QB, and they uh, they alternated, and and their backup QB last year 
who, by the way, was a, a senior that opted to stick around, and that's refreshing uh, in college football. Talk about J.W. Walsh. He had 13 touchdowns passing and 13 touchdowns rushing in this particular system. Mason Rudolph was a guy that threw for almost 4,000 yards on the air, so it was a nice fit. But these two guys aren't that much different. I think when you look at Kaiser, he's a, a very good runner and a bigger runner than Zaire is. Zaire's just a little more electric of a runner. Both pass the ball well. I give Kaiser the edge there. I think the majority of the snaps the rest of the year are going to go to Deshaun Kaiser, and Zaire will be, maybe have a package or two here and there, but it's going to be strictly a, a one-quarterback team. No question. The, the way the question was phrased, that's fiction. I don't think Brian Kelly uh, can afford to do that. He's not that you listen to, to the fans, although I don't know, Phil, that Subway alumni base that Notre Dame has around the country can get very vocal at times. But, no, nah, it, it's it's rather obvious. I think that uh, Deshaun Kaiser's got to be this, the guy. So I'm going to say fiction that Brian Kelly will not continue with his two-quarterback operation with Notre Dame. Our final factor fiction question of uh, this edition of Strong as Steel. Jim, go ahead. Fact or fiction, Florida State has found their next stud QB in DeAndre Francois. Yeah, I thought that in the spring, actually. (laughs) I thought that uh, Francois, you know, what, what Jimbo Fisher was saying about him, and then when I got to talk to Coach Fisher over the summer, uh, here's a guy that's uh, completely uh, digested the offense. He's calmer than you would expect from a, a redshirt freshman. Uh, he's a guy that uh, has really got the command of the team, and he, he knows the offense inside and out. He's a guy that's a gym rat, one of the harder workers on the team. There's a lot of good things going for him. I love the way he threw the ball in that game. I love the way he took hits and got right back up, even though those are some pretty blatant hits uh, You know, after the fact the ball was out. And I also like the fact they let him run a little bit starting in the second quarter, and he proves to be a dangerous runner. As long as he stays healthy, he is clearly the quarterback the rest of the year. But I'll tell you this, we go back to those quarterbacks transferring. Sean McGuire is a guy that's paid his dues. He's a guy that quarterback that win at home over Clemson. So that's a nice guy to have on the bench waiting in the wings. And a guy that's going to give you his full effort all season long, even if he's not starting. So I, I do believe they found him. Oh, that's fact, Phil. Come on, man. A guy with that Hollywood marquee name, DeAndre Francois, (laughs) quarterbacking for Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo can't take him out now after what he did. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm teasing, of course, but uh, no, I – Listen, uh, Phil, you make a good point about Sean McGuire, but um, I I think DeAndre Francois – has cemented himself uh, already uh, in Jimbo Fisher's mind as oh, he, his guy, his guy he would going have started, forward. He would have started if McGuire got hurt or not. He would have been the starter right. this year. Sure. But but the performance in the second half, I mean, again, you know, you would have, did you see something? Was that, was that the first time under Fisher that they've been behind by 21 points or more, three touchdowns or more at 28 to 6? I, I think it was, wasn't it? It was the largest comeback. Now, a couple of years ago with Winston and QB coming off the national yeah. championship, remember they were down in almost every game, and they go into halftime right. trailing and then come back and win. But here's an interesting stat for you, and something I tweeted out uh, last night, Michael. Over the last 10 years, ranked teams, which Mississippi was last night, went up by mm-hmm. 22 points or more. Here's the record. 1,173 and 2. That's mm. 1,173 and 2. Well, guess what? It's now 1,173 and 3, thanks to Florida State's comeback. 
Yeah, yeah, that's why yeah, truly amazing. And then you know the kid, he he just handled himself with uh, in that situation, and we were kidding about. It, but Phil, did you see when there were uh, tight shots a couple of times when uh, Fisher was on the sidelines with uh, DeAndre Francois a couple of times? The look on Jimbo's face in the first half. And uh, we, we, I even, I flash back to some of the looks he had with Jameis Winston. So, just good stuff, priceless stuff. But the kid can be a star, I think. And uh, you know, Francois has said that uh, Fisher has told him, you know, when it's a game time, I'm gonna do that stuff. So you just have to not necessarily look at how the message is being delivered, and just listen yeah. to the message. And uh, you know, mm-hmm. so that was good that Fisher even prepped him for that because uh, some young quarterbacks might. Uh, get turned off by that, but he he knew what to expect, and uh, he sure got it. Yeah, uh, we're strong as steel here on uh, this edition. It's our our second uh, pod together. Phil and I are going to do this each and every week. Hope that uh, you continue to want to be a part of it. Make sure you're always in touch on philsteel.com for everything that you need to get yourself ready. Phil has uh, gone over some of the extra added bonuses that can uh, be yours. Uh, for a vastly reduced price if you uh, act right now. Jump on board with us, 646-668-2248. That's 646-668-2248. Phil, I wanted to get your thoughts because, you know, we kind of had the quarterback theme today with with so many of uh, not only the young single callers, but, uh, you know, a guy like Bart Houston of, of Wisconsin finally getting his shot as a senior after sitting behind Joel Stave. So give me your thoughts on Josh Rosen and UCLA. They went uh, into uh, College Station. He had a shot to win it late against uh, Texas A&M, Kevin Sumlin squad. So uh, that week one road trip turns into a loss. A lot expected of UCLA this year. Jim Morris squad, uh, will they regroup and rebound with UNLV and then BYU coming up before they start Pac-12 play? Yeah, and this is the first year that Rosen's coming in and, and running more out of a pro-style offense. Now, he didn't have the type of uh, completion percentage you'd like. He only hit 57% of his passes last week, but he did throw for over 300 yards. All in all, with those pass rushers Texas A&M has on the defensive line, with yeah. a little bit of yep. a question mark on the offensive line in College Station, they're not going to face anything like that again the rest of the year. Arizona State blitzes a lot, but they don't have Miles Garrett and uh, up front, you know, chasing the quarterback. So I think you'll see them be better. They allowed five sacks. That's the most they've allowed in, in some time. And, yes, I do think you're going to see UCLA rebound. I think you'll see a very nice performance this week against UNLV. And when you look at their schedule, they still have the talent and the schedule to take home that Pac-12 South title. So even though they lost the opener in overtime, I'm going to point out, and in College Station, uh, I think that uh, UCLA still wins the Pac-12 South this year. You just said his name, man. And I was going to have six foot five, two hundred and sixty-five pounds of a, a, a wrecking, destructive force. Phil, I, I've got to tell you, you know, the, I know Deshaun Watson's is on everybody's mind. I, listen, if he, he's a, he's a true junior, I believe. Miles Garrett, I'm speaking of. Phil, if yes. he comes out to me, I, I'm sorry, he's my he's my guy. I'm taking him and going to build my entire defense around him, I hope, for about the next 10 or 12 years. Uh, it, I, I, even if I need a quarterback, that's how absolutely sold I am on Miles Garrett as one of the most dominant defensive presence we've had in the game in a long time. 
The key is for him to be that number one overall pick, we have to see the improvement against the run. Now, he's been bulking up his first year. Uh, let's face it, he was mostly a pass rusher the first year. You could run yep. the ball right at him and have success. But I think we've seen that improvement. And if he continues to show up, I'd like to see him against some of the premier uh, left tackles in the game out there to see how he does uh, in the in the run defense. But uh, that would probably be the key as to whether or not he could get to the number one overall pick. But I like the fact he's up to 265. Man, is he impressive, no question about it. Uh, we mentioned the Louisville Cardinals earlier on. Uh, they got to go against Dino Babers in Syracuse this week. Uh, let's, let's get some thoughts on that. Uh, welcome to Strong as Steel with some thoughts on uh, Louisville and, and Cuse. How are you, sir? This is, we got a call in, uh, tweet in from Danny Zay. And he wants to know, with both teams' offenses looking explosive in their season openers, do you expect Louisville versus Syracuse to be a shootout Thursday night? You know, I, I think any time you get uh, Dino Babers as your head coach, you can expect a, a fast-paced offense. And, you know, last week, uh, if you watched Bowling Green, or, or excuse me, if you watched uh, Syracuse play, uh, they were a team that was completely different than what they had been before they had run a, a slow moving offense one geared to get the defense keep the defense fresh during the season they had a very excellent defense the last couple of years or solid defense last couple of years and against Colgate they ended up having a total of 81 plays they had 40 of 46 passing 35 rushes and Baber said after the game, that's the slowest you will ever see us play. It seemed like almost like we were watching paint dry, he said. So I think you're going to see them try to up the tempo a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, they do have an underrated defense. And Louisville also has a little bit of an underrated defense as well, uh, especially when you look at the personnel they have on that side of the ball. So I, I do think both offenses move. Lamar Jackson uh, it showed the bowl was no fluke. I mean, he looked dynamic in that bowl game, and then he looked dynamic. Charlotte couldn't tackle him. I mean, they had players in position sometimes, and they'd be on him, and he'd just break the tackle, and that was pretty much the case all game as they rolled up 70 points. So do I think it's going to be a high-scoring game? I do, and I think that's reflected right now uh, in Las Vegas. They've got, the, they've got the total on that game up there at 68-69. And uh, so I think it's going to be a very entertaining game for uh, a Friday night. Appreciate that Twitter question. Might be a fun shootout. Phil, as we wind things up today, three programs, and we've spoken of them, took huge quantum leaps, you know, in the uh, moving up of the top 25 this week. Of course, that would be Houston with their win over Oklahoma, Wisconsin with their win over LSU, and Texas with the win over Notre Dame. Now, they're not going to be playing those type of opponents this week. Do you see any of them struggling and coming back down to earth, or are they all three of them possibly legitimate top ten squads throughout the course of the year? I think when you look at Houston, uh, they have that potential to be a top 10 squad all year. When you look at the rest of their schedule, they should be favored in all their games. You know, I talked to Coach Herman this uh, spring. We went over the defense, and he basically felt that in that defensive front seven, they had six potential all-conference candidates, and they looked like it against Oklahoma. They did a great job in that game, and offensively, they, of course, have the weapons. So I, I think Houston is a legitimate team. Impressed me very much with that game against Oklahoma, and uh, a game they had a 25-17 to first down edge. And when I look at Texas, uh, I had mentioned during all my magazine or radio interviews over the summer that I've, I had TCU, my number one most improved team in 2014, and they went from 4-8 and eight to almost making the playoffs. 
And I said the biggest difference was the offense, which went from 25 points per game to 46 points per game, and that I expected a similar surge this year. We saw that in the opener. Last year they only averaged 26 points per game. Of course, it wasn't overtime, but they still had 50 points against Notre Dame. And I think as the competition gets a little bit weaker, Notre Dame's got a good defense, you'll see Texas continue to put those points on the board. So I, I, Texas lived up to my number one most improved potential. They're playing UTEP this week, which has Aaron Jones, but I think Texas uh, mm-hmm. has enough to be able to win that one uh, comfortably. Now, Wisconsin's going to be interesting. I like what I saw to Wisconsin. I was very surprised that the Dave Aranda-less defense played like they did against LSU, was able to shut them down. Right. And I like the way they moved the ball in offense against a very good LSU defense, putting up 339 yards, controlling the ball the majority of the game. But they do have to play at Michigan State, at Michigan, Ohio State, at Iowa, Nebraska, mm. at Northwestern in a six-game stretch. So as impressive as they were here against LSU, I don't know if they're going to be able to do all that in a four road games in the six- or seven-week process that they have to yeah. play there. So I think if one of those three teams comes back down by midseason, I think that team would be Wisconsin, even though I was very impressive with what they did against LSU. Yep, Akron and Georgia State at home the next two weeks for Paul Chris and his Badgers. But then, as Phil said, uh, at Michigan State, at Michigan, by Ohio State in Madison, and then that uh, at Iowa, Phil, look, if, if if he survives that and was able to win, let's say three of those four, wow, we'd, uh, I think, have to start uh, tub-thumping for Paul Christ as uh, Coach of the Year. Before we go, Phil, for all of our Mid-American Conference uh, faithful, P.J. Fleck and his Western Michigan Broncos went uh, into Evanston, Illinois, and came up with a fourth-quarter drive and a win over Northwestern. Uh, P.J. Fleck knows how to get his teams prepared for big games against supposed uh, superior competition, does he not? Yeah, and I had uh, Western listed up there as one of the potential group of five teams, the uh, group of five champs to get into the major bowl this year because of the fact that I looked at their two Big Ten opponents, Northwestern and Illinois, and thought both those games fell into the winnable category, and then they should be favored mm-hmm. in all their MAC games this year. I mean, the Central's probably the toughest. Central is the toughest road game along with Akron, but both right. of those are winnable. They've got Zach Terrell at QB. Uh, they've got one of the most underrated wide receivers in the country in Corey Davis. NFL guys love him. He might be a top five, top six wide receiver coming out. They've got two guys in the backfield in Jamari Bogan and Javarian Franklin, who have been 1,000-yard rushers. That defense has plenty of talent and experience. He has really built this team, built it well, and they're, they are a complete team this year. I, I don't think P.J. Flex will be around in Western Michigan much after this year, especially with an important performance, but uh, they have that potential to actually run the table this year, so I'm going to keep my eyes on the Broncos. We all are. Get them while you can, Western Michigan Broncos fans. They are all off to a strong start. Phil, the hour flies by, my man. We're uh, we're going to have to uh, put the cap on it for today. But, uh, again, if you're in the Cleveland area, you can uh, come out and see Phil tonight at the Drug Mart on Detroit Road in Westlake. Get all over philsteel.com where you'll see Phil Steel Plus. Check out steelsweeklypreview.com. You can't do without it. Uh, fast-paced again today, Phil. We thank all of the uh, the callers and those who tweeted in. And uh, let's hope week two, Phil, without all the marquee matchups, uh, it'll find a way to catch our attention and dazzle us. I know it will. Great stuff today, buddy. 
Hey, always great talking football with you, Michael. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, even though there's not the marquee games of last week, this one should be uh, better than expected. And it's college football, Michael, so what's not to love about it? There's everything to love about it, as uh, as you and I do, and all of you do as well. We appreciate all of you that jumped on board. Make sure next week we'll uh, we'll get back on Tuesday, so uh, you take a look at social media and on Twitter, and we'll we'll uh, get you directed to us right here on Strong as Steel, our weekly podcast with the great game of college football in mind. Now for uh, the preeminent analyst in the business, Phil Steele, for our producer uh, Jim Nabosna. Great job. Jimmy, I'm Michael Regai. Great to have all of you with us, and we'll see you next time, everybody, right here on Strong as Steel. Until then, so long and have a great college football weekend. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 